Good morning to everyone out there. This is Ben Jost with Black Wolf Untitled, and today I am excited to bring you a sit-down I did with our very own Crystal Dunlap, and I have two reasons you need to listen to this, okay? First and foremost, because Crystal is a part of the team. She is operating on the freestyle mats with Kim, and she is putting into place um, a bit of structure that will um, work in tandem with Kim's excellent programming, bringing focus or an area of focus to each and every class that we run over on that side of the gym. But the second reason that I want you to listen to this um, is because this is something relevant to all of us. As you're going to learn about Crystal's story and her journey with Lyme disease, which is a, a fascinating, troubling, painful, uh, even as a reader, like consuming the content about it, um, something that uh, you would wish to never be put upon anyone, a burden that no man or woman should have to carry. Crystal's been battling that since, as she mentions, uh, being likely coming down with it in 2005. But we're going to talk about the impact of headlines and uh, so-called articles on the Internet being passed around in social media and being accepted as uh, standard or accepted as the rule. And we talk about a specific article in this case written by Apurva Mondavilli. And we'll go into detail on what the article was, what the background is, but it really is going to apply to everybody. Whether you have read articles about how your workout is wrong for you or there's something better, you read that this food's better and this food's awful and if you don't eat your grains and you're gonna die because how can you get your carbs? Uh, if your mom has ever forwarded you something because she disagrees with the choice you've made, this is for you. And we unpack the dangers as well as the role that coaches and leaders should play in disseminating information for our people and our communities that we are responsible for. So give it a listen. And as always, please offer us some feedback in the comments. Send me an email at ben at blackwolfcf.com. We need to hear back from you to understand what you're taking from these episodes and what you'd love to hear in the future. I think this is a powerful one. I hope you enjoy. So we're sitting down and this is going to be the first of many conversations. And I think normally when it's the first of many conversations, we probably would have focused this first one on you, I, I've shared my story plenty. We probably would have done a background on you, where you came from, and I'm sure we will do that in the future. But this month there was something, or this week, there was something very, very interesting kind of happening on the interwebs, on social media, uh, especially as it relates to you sharing your story, beginning to share your story a little bit, uh, because of a particular article. And although you shared one, this does coincide with a week where I've grown, or a period of time actually more like a month where I'm getting increasingly frustrated with the flippant nature with which we're sharing articles and headlines that back up our personal hypothesis or hypotheses and don't really take into consideration the impact it has on other people and so we're going to get straight to it this is going to be uh, I don't want to say intense but like it's going to be very real and and I'm we're not going to back off here the way that you and I talked about it the other day in the coffee shop I think I might be more of the heavy, and that's fine. Maybe we can use each other on this. But we're basically going to talk about this article. It is titled, My Son Got Lyme Disease. He's Totally Fine. Um, and then the subheadline, horror stories about lingering Lyme disease proliferate, but the illness is easily treated. I already I, – you didn't have to say that your story was involved here. You didn't need to say this is not your experience and how this is misleading because that headline to me, whether I know anything about Lyme disease at all, 
that headline and subline are so flawed in the way they're communicating this message. And, and we'll talk about was the author trying to convey hope? What were the potential motives? Who is the author? We've done a little research on that. But I wanted to, to kind of start with this was shared with you. Someone kind of sent this to you because they also had seen someone post about it. Um, what was that like for you, kind of uh, Amy sending it to you? By the way, we'll talk about who Amy is. Apologize for ruining that surprise. But you receiving this article, kind of receiving the idea that, hey, there's a – a nationwide, maybe even worldwide headline going around right now talking about how Lyme disease is really nothing, nothing to worry about. And how did that impact you now? And I do want to talk about how do you think that would have impacted you maybe when you first were going through uh, dealing with Lyme disease yourself? Yeah, so Amy, as you mentioned, our mutual friend, actually she's why I'm even here at Black Wolf. Um, thanks, Amy. Uh, at True Core Health, you can look her up on the social media. Um, so she actually tagged me in a post that somebody had made um, about this article. So they had read this article, this individual, and this person had dealt with Lyme. And so she did kind of a raw post about um, her experience with it. And it was a video of her um, in the hospital after a surgery that she had had to have because of her battle with Lyme disease and just how terrible her journey was. And so she was posting about this article and how it is not true. And so Amy, um, she's one of my good friends and I love, she's always pushing me to, um, or encouraging me to share and talk about this more. And so she commented and is like, keep sharing. Um, so I read this article and, felt like I needed to repost it and also share a bit of um, my experience with Lyme disease. Um, but it's, it's something that I, it took me a long time to even share it. And it took me a long time to, it took me months to even actually um, say to anyone that I had Lyme disease. Because once you, I felt like once I actually spoke out that, then it was true. But I didn't want it to be true. I didn't want to have it. I didn't want that to be my story. I didn't want to be labeled. I didn't want a disease or a diagnosis or anything. I mean, I wanted a reason why things were going on and things were happening in my body and a way to fix it, but I didn't want that kind of kind of lasting um, title. And so, but once I said it to somebody, then it was going to be true and I couldn't bring that back in and it couldn't then be false. Um, so it took me a long time to even tell anyone that what had happened. Um, and then it took me a while to even share my experiences and my stories because like we're going to discuss in this article, most people want to discredit it or say that it's not a real thing. Um, and so then to share it was, uh, I mean, sharing is vulnerable anyway, but when people already think or tell you that you're, you're making it up or it's false, um, then I would avoid those. But yeah, it, when you're telling people you're so easily, you're so willing to tell someone it's bullshit, what do you expect to happen other than people to keep their stories to themselves and nothing to ever come from it? And those people to suffer in silence and then the story, the people their story could have reached to also then have to suffer in silence or make rash decisions without having the information they need. Uh, in a nutshell, in, in, I didn't know much about Lyme disease. I want to say that up front. Um, you and I had spoken about it a little bit. I knew about it because my boy Tim Ferriss, uh, he had, as I've listened to now way too much in the last two days, he had bitten by, been bitten by ticks like on the daily out on Long Island. Turns out the Northeast is a hotbed. He called it like ground zero. 
and and he said that that lime, not fruit lime, lime L Y M E. Yeah, L Y M E is named after Lime, Connecticut. And because it's a hotbed, like everything in that area, that North Upstate New York, Long Island, Connecticut, they all have, it seems to be very prevalent out there. Uh, And so I've learned a little, but in learning a little, like the more you know, the more you realize what you don't know, I don't know anything. So in the most possible nutshell, which is not very possible with something like Lyme disease, which can take, as you'll, you know, explain, take so many forms, go so many places, manifest itself in so many different ways. What are we talking about when we were... Um, But interestingly, Russia is actually a hotbed for Lyme disease. And there's entire parks uh, that people are not even allowed to go into because of the prevalence of ticks carrying the bacteria. Um, And that's where we suspect that I actually contracted it originally was in Russia in 2005. Um, But what it is, is it's a bacteria um, that, that is transferred most people say through ticks. There are some theories that other ways and other things, but um, generally through ticks, tick-borne illness um, that gets into your body and the bacteria wreaks havoc basically and does a whole, It they call it the great imitator. And so a lot of people's symptoms um, look different, but some common symptoms are fatigue, um, brain functioning issues, gut problems, inflammation, very high inflammation in the body. Um, there's Lyme arthritis and that's how, that's actually how mine was found and how a lot of people's, um, is found because they get random arthritis in or symptoms of arthritis in one joint, um, where arthritis is usually mimicked on either side of the body. Um, yeah, a whole slew of symptoms, but if you find it, and this is what's talked about in the article, if you catch it early, then these symptoms that come with chronic Lyme, you can avoid. And you can treat it and like get rid of it right away if you catch it early. Um, but in my case, it was not caught right away. It was over a decade later when they actually found it. And so it had turned into chronic Lyme. But to, a lot of people will get a what's called a target rash. Right. Um, I didn't see a target rash. I got a rash just over my whole body. Mm-hmm. But it being away and being in Russia and being people just thought I had had bed bugs or something. Sure. Um, and so I took, I think they pumped me with Benadryl and we kept going with the trip. Um, but a lot of people get a target rash. Right. And to be clear, I mean, your your case is unique because I mean, Russia, not many of us have even been to Russia, uh, much less russia where we might be exposed to to something like this but when we're talking about inflammation of the system we're talking about especially like something like arthritis we're not talking about like a little bit of inconvenience here we're not talking about like all right crystal but you can go about your daily life like okay so your elbow hurts like shut up you're fine like we're talking about potentially debilitating pain that is putting you in bed for days and like you're not getting up i've heard Again, doing this research, I've heard testimonies of I'm like laying in bed for 20 hours a day. Not that I didn't want to get up and go to work. I couldn't. I could not move. Um, and as you said, arthritis is generally kind of both sides. And a lot of times it's one. Even in this the this article, I believe her son it was only in his right or left knee, only one knee. And that's how the friend of the father had the idea it might be after, of course, misdiagnosis. 
And, and so and we haven't even talked about misdiagnosis yet or the prevalence of it. But I want to focus on here, like, this is an incredibly not uncomfortable. This is an incredibly painful and, and very inconvenient, to say the very least, um, set of circumstances for you to have to deal with. Um, I mean, I don't want to dwell on how much pain you're in, but can you speak to what someone that's diagnosed, especially if they're not treated right away, or if it does, it is chronic, like what, what is it you were dealing with? Like when it's at its worst, what, what's life like? Yeah, man. So when it's at its worst and you touch on this too, everyone's uh, experience and story is a little different. And so I can only speak to my story. There will be um, some common themes with other people's stories and we can, I love when I meet people who've had it and it's like, Oh, you feel that too. I felt that too. Uh, so there is some of that, but, um, my story in particular, every day was so different. And so some days I could wake up and have very low pain, but then there were days when, um, pain levels were so high that I would just lay in bed and like, I would literally lay and have my hands like on my stomach because even my finger joints hurt so bad that I couldn't even like move my fingers. And there were times when I would have to, like, I couldn't just lay in bed all day. And I had to, like, get to the grocery store and get some food in order to feed my body. Um, and I remember there were times when I would drive and, like, have my hands on the steering wheel, but, like, try to only have the palms of my hand on the steering wheel because my fingers, like, this is so not safe. I shouldn't have done this. So acknowledging, don't, don't drive like this. Um, but I couldn't grip the steering wheel because my hands hurt so bad. Um, and that was like every joint of my body, every like just soft piece of soft tissue in my body was that kind of pain. Um, and it, it causes like low level flu like symptoms too. And so, um, sometimes the pain was just a really chronic, like high level eight to 10 on the scale pain. But sometimes it was like the kind of low grade fever pain feeling where when you feel like you're about to get sick and your body just kind of aches and like you feel like something in your throat and like a little bit in your head, you just get that at any given moment and it will last for however long it wants. So sometimes I would get it and it would last an hour and sometimes I would get it and it would last like three days. And you're just like, oh, I'm about to get the flu, but you never really get the flu. You just have that low level like fever kind of feeling. Um, and that's something that I've talked to that just about every person with Lyme deals with is the, the low kind of flu-like symptoms. Um, and some level of chronic pain feelings. And then on top of that, so you have the physical pain, you have the, the emotional pain related to the physical pain, the not living your best life and quality of life dropping for all these reasons. On top of that, because there are other illnesses, there are other things that we can come down with or contract that make us feel in a similar state, maybe even more miserable in a certain moment. But oftentimes we go to the doctor and there's the fix. We go to the doctor and he or she is like, boom, got this here's how we take care of it take it get out of here you're gonna and, and not in any sort of like truly that is they've seen it a million times it's easy i mean it's, look think of how awful the flu can be like you're just out you go to doctor they're never shocked by it whoa 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 no they're like oh yeah here take this get out of here um you and so many like you don't have that luxury so you're dealing with this pain and at the same time and this is where our experiences disconnect that. I don't think I've ever experienced anything like this. You have the physical pain and now you, you're seeking help with the medical community. And so many examples that I've come across have, have gone through a similar place with you. 
doctors don't have the answers. And so what, what was your experience there? We want, all we want is being understood. And that's probably a great life lesson because it's not just sickness. We always, all humanity wants us to be understood. We just want to feel like we're understood. And then when we're suffering, we, we need to be understood because how else can we find comfort? Uh, comfort starts with understanding. I mean, it'd be like you're sick and you're, the, the partner you've chosen to live your life with is like, you're not sick. That'd be a horrendous situation to be in. That lack of empathy, lack of sympathy even, but like lack of empathy, not being able to put themselves in your shoes. And so you go to the doctor, you go to the medical community, you, you seek answers. And I know that road is still to this day very full of turbulence or, or tumultuous and, and full of obstacles. So, and again, similar like describe Lyme disease, we don't have hours here. So kind of in a nutshell again, like can you describe like sum up your experience with trying to go traditional with doctors and medication, the antibiotics that everybody swears that this woman swears, why didn't you take your antibiotics? Obviously you didn't take your 30 days of antibiotics because if you had taken your antibiotics, everything would have been fixed, you know? So can you explain kind of your uh, tumultuous journey uh, through the medical community? Oh man, I did do the 30 days of antibiotics. <laughs> And it was uh, 30 days of not being able to eat, feeling nauseous for 30 days. And I, <laughs> I ate uh, veggie straws were like, I mean, it's my favorite snack already. And thankfully I actually still like veggie straws, but it was the one thing that actually settled my stomach. And one day I remember going, I made it to, uh, I lived down the street from the Whole Foods 365. So I actually made it out my door to the Whole Foods. And I'm like walking through, uh, only God knows what I looked like in the moment, like t terrible can like tunnel vision, almost trying Just to get so to real the quick, snack aisle. Interesting fact real fast. So you haven't lived in that house that long. Um, so when did you first, about a year. when did you first come down with this? What did you say? 2000. So we think that I actually contracted it in 2005, but 2005. it was diagnosed, um, roughly 2016. Yeah. Right. But you've been dealing with it. Like you, yeah. you felt it's not diagnosed. Sure. Mm -hmm. Which is the point of this story, but like you've been having the, the manifestations of it and the pain mm -hmm. since back then, this story you're telling the farthest back, this could be a summer of last year, which is 2018. Because you've only lived in that house. Yeah, I know when you moved here. Like we just talked about when you moved here. So 18. 2005, 2018, 2019. Mm -hmm. That's how long we've been sitting on this, just dealing in, with the pain and it coming and going and coming and going. You're mm -hmm. still 14, 13 and 14 years later talking about the days where getting out your doors of victory. Okay, sorry. Just wanted to make a note of that. 14 years later, getting out the doors of victory on certain days. Continue. Yeah. Yes. But I uh, have to preface it though with once you just a lot of times and for sure with my story, once I decided to treat it, once I knew what it was and I decided to treat it, it got worse because when you're trying to kill the bacteria, it's fighting back. Mm -hmm. So there were times when I felt great throughout that long, however many year period of having Lyme disease, but there were also periods of time. Like I had to take a semester off of school. Um, I, freshman or sophomore year of college uh, because my body couldn't handle stress and I would I would literally pass out and then start seizing and so I it wasn't really safe for me to I, I couldn't handle the stress of taking on college courses but also like driving to and from campus I would I would get off class and then I would randomly get really dizzy and my mom would have to come pick me up thankfully I went to school close by so she could do that um, so there were times when it was 
terrible, but then there were times when I was just living normal life. But having to always having to eat really healthy, sleep a lot, stay hydrated, basically live, exercise, live a healthy lifestyle. I had a doctor tell me once, um, not knowing anything about Lyme or even knowing that I had Lyme, but she said, um, if you ever stop exercising, you're going to be diabetic. Like your body just has to, it has to move. It has to sweat. It, you have to eat healthy in order to function at a normal level. So I've always had to work harder, but anyway, so I'm at Whole Foods and I get home and I end up having like three bags, different kinds of chips and veggie straws. And that's all I bought. <laughs> it's on my coffee table. I'm like laying on the couch and my coffee table is just like all different bags of chips and veggie straws. But that's, that got me through the antibiotics. Um, but so back to your question, it, this was probably one of the most overwhelming pieces of Lyme disease was nobody really knowing what it was. And if they knew what it was, or they, some acknowledge it, some don't. And then if they acknowledge it, maybe they don't have a vast knowledge base of it. Um, or maybe they do. And, but there's not a black and white, hey, you have this, so take this. Mm -hmm. um, when I first was diagnosed, somebody did say, hey, you have it, but yeah, I have a cure, do this. And I was like, oh, great. So I have this thing, but I also know how to treat it. So this is gonna be perfect. It didn't, it didn't work like we thought. And it made me really sick. I was bedridden for <clears throat> about a month for sure. And then the second month, third month, it was like halftime. So I structured my schedule to where um, I would sleep one day, stay inside, not do anything. And then the next day I would work and have all my activities on the day. And then the next day I would sleep. So it was like every other day I was functioning um, and then recovering on the off day. Um, so I did that for a couple of months until I could finally have like two days of functioning with an off day and then three days and to like slowly build up. Um, but it caused all these symptoms that I hadn't experienced or hadn't related to Lyme disease until that point mm -hmm. and even things like um i couldn't form sentences some days um word searching and i'd started a master's program like it the first day of class was like two months after this treatment and i was like oh i can't even put a sentence together right now how am i going to do a master's program um so it caused a, a lot of these things that were like really shocking um to me and memory problems and like just all this crazy stuff but then so once i realized that this treatment wasn't actually going to cure it then it was overwhelming because okay so i feel terrible um it causes anxiety and depression so now i'm feeling symptoms of anxiety and depression that i've never felt in my life um my brain's not functioning properly and i don't and now i have to try to figure out what to do and how to help it like how to heal myself like now I have to figure it out now I have to do the research right. and I have to make the decisions and now I have 20 people saying I've done this this worked this worked this didn't and everyone's story is so different and right. then now I have to in this current six state now decide what's best for me and what's going to heal my body right and it was super overwhelming I remember I would have days where I would just not even want to think about it right because it was i mean all the decision fatigue like i couldn't even like it, it was just too much um i remember buying like i would have stacks of books and podcasts and and then some days i just didn't even want to look at any of them because i don't want to learn anything else about it i just want someone to tell me do x y and z 
and you will feel better. And so kind of stepping back from your specific story, we can kind of move to this article now, which is, let's give a little bit of background on it. So again, we said the title, my son got Lyme disease. He's totally fine. So now that you hear Crystal's story, I think you can understand the first error I see there. Like, good for your son. I'm very happy that this woman, Apurva Mandavali, uh, I'm very happy her son is is not is no longer suffering pain, swelling, inflammation, whatever. Um, but this was passed around the internet recently, and it basically, if we without going into the details of it, it is written by so Apurva or Mrs. Mandavali is a science journalist. She is uh, well renowned. She's respected. She does a good job for the most part, and. Who's to say what our opinions on this, if they're valid or not? They're, of course, valid. Don't be little people's opinions or feelings. Let's talk about it now, though. So she is reputable in the space of science journalism. This is not just some op-ed written by a crazy person. Um, it goes on to basically detail the experiences she has with her son coming or being diagnosed with uh, Lyme disease, the... Even the misdiagnosis or the kind of the struggle they, they had to get diagnosed, he wasn't even diagnosed, as Crystal pointed out to me, one of the doctors she quotes didn't even catch that it was Lyme disease, but he's an infectious disease expert specifically focused on Lyme disease and being certain of what Lyme disease is not, but he didn't catch it as being Lyme disease. It wasn't until Apurva's husband was um, his training partner. Is so, he plays squash uh, in his free time, and he played with a doctor one time, and she heard this. He described his son suffering and she recognized the swelling in one leg, not both legs, without a fall or an acute injury being a potential sign of Lyme disease, especially based on where they were there at Long Island, uh, Fork Neck or something like that, where ticks are known to be bountiful with the bacteria. Um, and so it goes on. Just, then after that, 30 days of antibiotics, he's good. And it ends on a quote that we'll talk about at the end because that was your favorite thing, was the opinion of how old is this boy? Did we find out? I am not sure. I was assuming, sure. and from the photo, I thought he was young, but the quote at the end. Nine-year-old son. Okay. So at the end, she the, the most powerful quote is from a nine-year-old. <laughs> it's it's fascinating. Uh, so, but in the age of social media, we really didn't need to get into the details of the article. And also, she summed up the article nicely with her headlines. They, they pretty much let you know, once you read, you already knew from the headlines. And... Um, so based on what we just heard from Crystal, the detrimental impact that this headline will have on someone that is struggling with Lyme disease who does not fit the narrative of a simple diagnosis and simple solution and treatment that is then gone in a month. As you said, you were given hope by a doctor who said, I know what this is. Here's what you're going to take. You're going to be fine. And we don't know, I don't know the circumstances uh, in which that doctor was operating, what they recommended, how far off they were, was it the correct idea in just maybe a unique case. That doesn't really matter. I'm not faulting the doctor in that situation. But I do want to focus on the detrimental impact of having hope and realizing that it was misplaced. Because at the end of this program that was supposed to solve it, you were in a worse spot. And this headline will now put people suffering with this in a position to be in that same spot. Because now they're going to read. Maybe they're ready for the fight today. Maybe they're ready to take it to the Lyme disease. They're going to make the, make the best decisions they can. They're going to eat healthy. They're going to do their research. They're going to they're take their best shot at today. And then they read this, 
And they go, well, it's been more, 30, more than 30 days for me. I have not felt better. Nobody's given me hope. I've not been, none of my treatments have worked. It's supposed to be easy. I'm out of luck. I suck at this. I'm going to just manage it and uh, do that version and make the best of it, where I just do whatever I can to get by, which we can make sound sad and pathetic. It's sad. It's not pathetic. It's understandable. It's understandable. If I take hope away from you, how can I expect you to drive for more hope? Like, it's crippling. And so when you read this, um, I mean, how, how harmful could something like this be? Yeah, I think the reason, well, the reason I, this article was frustrating to me, but not, I didn't get like blood boiling heated is because the, I lived this for so long already. So my, when I was first diagnosed and my first treatment, I was living in the Middle East and where they didn't even know how to pronounce it. Like I literally had doctors and they're like, what limb disease? And like, they had no clue what this was. And so they not only didn't know, but then they would look at me and say, well, it's not real. So you don't have it. And I couldn't find even anyone who would even acknowledge that there is something out there that maybe you just don't know about that is real and I do have it. And so, and then, so when I'm dealing with all these things and people are starting to see a shift in my um, well-being and my behavior and all of this, and they come to me and they say, you're not the same. What are you doing? Like, why aren't you like you used to be? Where'd your spark go? Where did, you know, saying all these things. And then I say, well, I have this once again, I have this thing called, and they're like, no, you don't. It's not real. So I've, I've lived this narrative already. And so then when I read it, it's like, oh, it's frustrating that stories like this, especially published by New York Times, feed into these people's um, assumption and build their case even more that it is easy or maybe you are making this up. Maybe chronic Lyme isn't real. Maybe, um, maybe you didn't do the antibiotics right. You know, it, so it feeds into that, which doesn't help me or anyone else who's already trying to convince people that it's real. Um, and I've, I mean, I've even had family members and people very close to me say, you're making this up. It's not real. And so seeing articles like this, it's, it's sad and disheartening because it's like, okay, cool. Now they can pull this up and it's just going to feed into what they're already believing. Um, but for people who haven't already experienced that and haven't walked through that, yeah, this, kind of article can send them into um as Brene Brown says <laughs> a shame cycle and spiral down into shame and depression and um they're already sick and then you take away hope as you said and it can be horrible and so yeah it's it's so, sad but I think people don't realize the weight real quick, of an article I'm like this. I apologize for putting you on the spot. What was the uh, the shame and guilt quote you gave me two days ago? Oh, yes. Because I want to apply that cuz that fits everything. Fear, guilt and shame are the main hindrances of your brain acquiring new knowledge. Yeah. That's that was it's kind of unrelated but it's also kind of related because also if you go into a shame cycle, you are no longer going to be driving forward to live your best life or to make the best of, of what you're dealing with or continue to be uh, encouraged to find a solution. And so I think that that quote is, we're going to, we're going to read that probably every time we meet because that's, that's such a powerful, powerful quote. Um, so the, yeah. And, and I, we had talked on Monday about my views on like, why should we even bring this up? 
why should we bring this largely opinion-based piece up in a world that most people listening aren't directly impacted by Lyme disease? They probably know somebody. Probably it's one of those things. You probably know somebody. Um, but you yourself, probably not directly impacted by Lyme disease. And it's this thing that maybe you don't talk about after you hear it on this podcast. Maybe this is the only time you'll ever hear about it. But it's the premise or the, uh, the overall issue to me is these articles being passed around where once you dig in and read them, because what is absent of this article, and I went and read some of her other stuff. I read her Twitter, and I told you she's, she's not backing down. She's not backing down. A lot of people are hurt by what she said and letting her know they're hurt. And it was really disheartening to see that she was not willing to say, hey, these are the experiences I had with my son. These are experiences that the doctors had with my son. Because if she says that, if she prefaces it with that, then this article's fine. Okay? She said, hey, for us, this was relatively smooth process but we understand there's millions of people that this is not a smooth process for um everything i read from her and from other people in this kind of circle there were no my thing about complaining is bring a solution you want to say chronic lyme disease doesn't exist cool what is it what are we dealing with because the pain's still there the inflammation is still there all the manifestations are still there and the antibiotics aren't doing anything so fine it's not chronic lyme cool what next sentence should be it might be this this or this but nobody had anything to offer and you say well because they don't want to misdiagnose well they're sure as hell willing to talk pretty proudly about something that they're not fully aware of either because they don't know who i am they don't know who you are but they're willing to say blatant broad strokes this does not apply but they don't have a solution for where we might need to look after that and that is always a red flag to me it's almost to the point and with her especially it's to the point of wondering what the motivations are. And I likened it to a few years ago, we started seeing, and it was very short-lived, we saw a prevalence of health-related articles that suggested that working out or being more active can, in fact, offset a bad diet. It can, not can't, it can. So you know the saying in the gym is you cannot outwork a bad diet. These articles came out and said, no, 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 no. If we let our kids play in recess, if we let our kids have longer PE, if we let our kids do stuff after school instead of our parents staring at their phone, they blamed everybody. Blamed teachers, they blamed the academic system, they blamed parents. They said if our kids would be more active, then it doesn't matter what they eat. It doesn't matter what they drink. They will not be uh, as obese as they are or the uptick would not be as, as extreme. And then it turned out that a lot of these men and women, these alleged scientists, were fellows in a health program funded entirely by Coca-Cola. And you go, oh, well, well, no kidding they wrote that. Because at that time, CrossFit was taking Coca-Cola to task over soda and the prevalence of marketing soda to kids specifically. I mean, Glassman's a libertarian. He's all for it. You want to drink soda? That's fine. He doesn't care if you want to drink soda. What he cares about is the marketing of it incorrectly and malicious intent in attracting kids to things like Coca-Cola because they're not that unhealthy and Gatorade because it's not that unhealthy or actually Gatorade's position to be healthy, which it's not. Do not drink Gatorade. It is water with sugar in it. There's actually not really electrolytes in it. Just drink some salt in your water and eat a banana. You're going to be fine. Okay. Um, and we realized, oh, the false motives. And suddenly the articles made sense. And you weren't, you didn't have an issue anymore. Like, yeah, you had an issue about the misleading, but like, you're like, well, yeah, duh. That's how life works. Like when everybody, whenever anybody passes you an article saying the whole grains are the way to eat, as long as they also add a sticky note that says, and the grain industry is subsidized by the government and receives a lot from their, or their lobbyists, lobby the government for those subsidies. Okay, cool. It makes sense that I'm getting information like that. Um, always understand the motives. But for this one, it's really difficult to understand what is there to gain by making people 
that don't fit this narrative feel bad about themselves, feel bad about what they're struggling with and have no hope. Like in a twisted way, I think maybe, but she didn't do it and nobody I've read in her circle does it either. But there is a way where they could leave a paragraph in where they give hope by saying, we really truly believe this, that chronic Lyme disease is not a thing, but we see hope in maybe this or maybe that or maybe that. Like it could even be open-ended bullshit, but they don't even try. They just want really you to know that your pain is not Lyme disease. Like, sorry, honey, sorry your life sucks, sorry you're in pain, sorry you're suffering, but I'm going to take away the one thing that you think it might be. I'm not going to help you with anything after that. And I just don't understand the motive there. Um, I don't understand it at all. And I don't know that I'm asking you a question. I think I might just be ranting right now because I'm sick of this shit. And I'm sick of it. This isn't a me and my horse, high horse about Lyme disease. This is about everything. This week I saw the, uh, the McDonald's diet study passed around. And nobody gives details on it. And it just makes people that are struggling losing weight to feel worse about themselves. Hey, some big dude that was way unhealthy ate the healthy food off the McDonald's menu and lost weight. They didn't say that. What they said was a perfectly normal human being lost weight eating food from McDonald's. That was the headline. And honestly, that was the story. The story didn't go into that he actually selected some really healthy stuff because McDonald's does have healthy items. Healthy just means that it's not junk. Okay, They do have food that is not junk still don't think you should probably eat there but they didn't say that they wanted you to think that he lost 60 pounds in six months from eating mcdonald's but then you read it you find the actual details and you're like oh the students had all of these uh checkpoints they had to meet when they assigned what food he he ate and he was eating like yogurt parfaits which by the way yogurt is not unhealthy he was eating grilled chicken like oh okay so he wasn't eating big macs for breakfast lunch and dinner Oh, and by the way, he was 300 pounds when he started, morbidly obese. And by the way, yeah, his LDL protein or LDL cholesterol dropped, but it was through the roof when he started. They don't say any of that stuff. And by the way, if you're assessing health through LDL uh, lipoproteins, you're wrong. Like if that's still your, your health marker, get just update your stuff, okay? Um, but if I pass that article out, now you as someone that has struggled to lose weight are just going to be discouraged. Because now I'm literally laughing. I'm going, damn, girl, a guy ate McDonald's and lost weight. What's wrong with you? But that's what this, these 22, 23, 24-year-old nutrition coaches want you to think. So then you call them and go, what do I do? You don't call them. Because anybody that believes in that study, they also believe in the China study, okay? They're going to tell you red meat causes cancer. Get off the bus. Just get out of here. So apologize for that rant. But the misleading headlines, and as it relates to kind of your endeavor into a holistic approach to like wellness and just get helping people, guiding people to living their best life and, and being pain-free and, and performing well in the gym, but also taking care of themselves spiritually and growing mentally and emotionally and being in touch with who they really are and identifying themselves and finding their purpose and identifying their passions and utilizing those in life. What do you think, like what what is there to say about for the let's start with the athlete. Let's start with the consumer. What is their role? What suggestions can we make for when these things come across? When stuff, and maybe it's not inflammatory to them yet. Maybe someone that doesn't have Lyme disease, they just adopt this idea. So maybe it's more like when Jillian Michaels comes out and says a certain fitness program is dangerous, and then 
that woman, the woman that reads it, grabs that headline and then sends it to her friend. And now all this bullshit's floating around and they missed out on what might have made, made – may have been the best way for them to work out because a personality who's otherwise incentivized to tell not the truth because it takes away from her brand. And so what suggestions do you have for the athlete or, or if we're saying out of the gym, we can still leave it broad for someone that might be uh, looking for answers? What suggestions do you have for them for not getting too discouraged by – what they will when they inevitably are inundated with messages of misinformation yeah first though i want to celebrate that this lady's son is fine i mean i I don't want to like brush over that or or not mention that but but celebrate that that was her story and that's the case because that's incredible and i'm so happy um for their family and and that his Lyme was, was treatable right away and he has no symptoms and no lasting, um, side effects. Um, and want to point out that I think a big piece of this, or one of the big pieces that, um, stood out to me and frustrated me with this article is that one, the motivation piece you talked about is unclear. So I, I tried, I really, tried to cling to the hope that she was just giving hope to parents who um, see these. We just finished a Lyme disease awareness month a couple months ago. And so people are seeing these horrible stories. And and then I can't imagine being a parent and getting that sort of uh, news for my child. And all I know of it is these horrible chronic Lyme disease stories. And so I was really hoping that she was just providing hope for parents and people in her uh, similar circumstance or nine-year-old boys who are also getting this kind of diagnosis. Um, but I feel like there were other motives involved and don't know where that or what money could be fitting that or, or <laughs> it's, it, it also kind of amazes me that, that people could, uh, oppose other people's stories. Um, but that's something, a key thing that I want to point out is, is that we all have, whether it's Lyme disease or a fitness model or whatever it is, we all have a story to tell. And, never do I want to discredit somebody else's story because that's their experience and that's their story. Um, and it's valid because it's theirs and articles like this are just discrediting other people's experiences and stories. Um, and so her story is amazing and I want to celebrate that, but my story was very different. Her son's story is amazing. Her son's story. Her story sucks. Or her her. Yeah. Her son's story is amazing for sure. But that is. For but as sure. a parent, that's... I agree. I mm-hmm. her her fortune for her like her son's fortune has benefited her because you're right. As a parent, if your kid's suffering, there's probably no worse feeling. I don't get to speak to that, but this is her son's story. She has taken the story from herself by putting this out in the public and just being incredibly rude to anybody that whose story does not line up with this. Um, but sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. But like, yes, her son, nine-year-old boy at the time of this, this was written June 27, well, posted June 27, 2019. So I'm assuming he's still nine. His birthday could have come. I don't know. Um, so anyways, go on. Sorry. Yeah, but for, for somebody, I would say, I mean, that's a tough question because it's case by case. It depends on what they're dealing with, what they're going through. But um, obviously educate yourself. Don't just read an article like this and say, this is it. This is true. This is, um, reality. I can't fight this. 
you know, there's not a cure for me. Um, yeah, so don't do that. <laughs> don't just read one article flying through social right. media and say this is it. Um, do some research, educate yourself, uh, read some different points of view. Um, but I think you also, and this kind of gets to something else we wanted to talk about. I think in a beneficial step is also to share your story. Because if I read this, and let's say I'm in a vacuum, nobody around me, I get this article, I don't have you to talk to, I've been suffering with, with what I've decided is chronic Lyme disease, or it's been so long now that it, it must be. Like, um, we, I did my 30 days, I did what she said, and it didn't work, and I've still been suffering, and, and the doctors say, yes, all the symptoms are still there, and whatever. <sighs> Even if I'm in a vacuum and I have nowhere else to look, if I can, with the beauty of social media, so we always talk about the downside, and I don't think social media is good for us, I think it is tearing at our moral fiber. I don't think we're happy. Um, I think it's a great tool. I think the fact that we can reach around the world is amazing, but what if we're not supposed to reach around the world? What if we're supposed to operate in our tribes inside of our towns or whatever? Um, personal opinions there. The beauty of social media is that you can get your story out there and get feedback on your story. And so, you know, if you are a person who gets a headline like this and it just doesn't line up with your experiences, your authentic, true experiences, don't manufacture anything, don't concoct anything, your true, authentic experiences, then there is nothing wrong with sharing this headline and saying, but these are my experiences. Like, is there anybody else? Uh, because, and we had started with the fact that Amy encouraged you to share your story. But we kind of glossed over the part where that is not something that comes natural to you. And then also after such a long struggle, like, I don't know that I'd be encouraged to share a story with so much noise against my story. And when the listener that's not all in on what you're saying can just like half-ass Google something and find three articles against what you're experiencing. Like, yeah, you said it, but I, I didn't even have to Google, really. I found three already said that you're full of shit. And so I think that, that we should talk a little bit about you being encouraged to share by Amy and how important it may be for others to share. Because there's no, the, the thing that infuriates me about misinformation like this, the thing that infuriates me about misleading headlines is the fact that now people will feel very alone. And the most dangerous thing in our society is people being alone. It's very, very dangerous to feel alone. We are not meant to be loners. I lived my life for a very long time thinking I didn't need anybody, okay? And I was full of shit. And it tore me down. I, I mean, we can, there's injuries like bro, head trauma, all this stuff that I've dealt with, alcoholism, depression, anxiety, think they're all probably linked a little bit. But like in all of it, I had an opportunity to be very, very alone. And those, that was when everything was the worst. And so what I hate about this is that the, I fear when this stuff gets posted, that it immediately alienates people that are too timid, too shy to get out there because they've never read a story like theirs. And that is why it is important for you as well as the people listening in any capacity, share you. Yeah, um, sharing, so, so important. And and so for me, it was multiple like different levels, but, and sharing things that are hard or things that are really vulnerable are very different than just like sharing exciting things or sharing things that you love or sharing some good cold brew or whatever. Love sharing that stuff. But, um, one was I had a bit of a belief, um, growing up that, and just from experience and from life, um, that I needed to be strong and I couldn't expose weakness. And by being sick is like incredible weakness that you have no control over. And so it was not something that I could fix or something that I could just be stronger at or better at or whatever, but it's actually a weakness that I'm out of control in. 
um, which that's a ridiculous belief system and um, had to work through that. But part of it was just if I shared it, then like people were going to see me as weak or incapable or not good enough or all these things that that come up from just um, it's a natural human fear of being broken. false beliefs like I being had. found yeah. broken. Yeah, you're broken. But here's the funny thing. We're all broken. Like we can hate that term and I don't mind. I'm sorry if anybody's getting triggered by it, but like we're all broken. Like it might be Lyme disease. That might be that perceived weakness. Uh, for me, it might be anxiety, depression. It might be the fact that I need to go to therapy. Like people certainly can interpret that as someone being broken. I think we just have that, that deep primal selves. So sorry, continue. But uh, yeah, I think that's a, that's a huge theme for humanity, sick or otherwise. Yeah, for sure. So once I got over that and then I did start to share more, then I ran into... I got this all the time and it, I just wanted to scream every time I heard it. And so I just kind of stopped talking about it for a while. Um, but I would tell people like, Hey, you know, I, this is what I'm dealing with. I feel awful. Like, this is what my morning is like. This is like, I hardly got out of bed today. And they would look at me and they would say, well, at least you look good. Literally lost count of the number of people who would respond with that statement because one, they, they, have no baseline for what I'm dealing with. So they can't understand it. They can't relate to me. They um, don't know how to respond or what to say. And so then the response is something like that of, well, at least you look good. And which I would look in the mirror and be like, oh my God, I've like, I don't even recognize myself. But in their mind, at least you look good. Like, cause that's the best thing in the world is, you know, your, well, your, think, your I, outward appearance looks fine and that's what matters. Um, and I just got sick of responses like that. Right. And when I would felt, I would, and for me, that was almost my cry for help too of, Hey, like I'm not like, I'm not in a great place. I don't, I'm sick. I don't feel well. I'm dealing with all these things. Like I feel depressed all the time and I don't know what to do about that because I've never felt depressed before. And, um, and it's not depression. It's coming from this outside other piece of this disease that's mimicking symptoms of depression. Um, and they would take that kind of cry for help and just like, well, at least you look good. So then I, I didn't want to talk about it as much because people didn't even know how to respond back to me. They didn't know what to say. Um, and I understand, I get that. It's if you haven't experienced something, you don't have a, a concept for it. it. It's, it's what do you say? Right. <laughs> what do you do? How do you help? Um, so that, and having people all around me, I mean, I had an ER doctor one time I had to, um, so the disease started to affect my heart and, um, this was last year and, um, no beginning of 2019 actually. Uh, no, <laughs> I'm mixing it up. I don't remember sometime in the last year. Um, it started to affect my heart and I was in, I ended up in the ER twice, um, because of it. And the ER doctor actually looked at me and said, it was like three o'clock in the morning. And she said, Oh, you've just been out partying. And I said, no, ma'am, I've already told you. I went to bed at 10 o'clock and I woke up in the middle of the night with my heart rate at 140 beats per minute and then dropping down to 55 and then going back up to 140 and dropping down and unable to regulate back to a normal heart rate. And I called a friend and she drove me into the emergency room. And she's like, she just looked at me and said, no, you were out drinking. And I said, let me repeat to you again for the third time. I was in bed at 10 o'clock having had no alcoholic beverages and I woke up at, and, and I told her again, and she just looked at me again and said, 
she wouldn't even acknowledge the Lyme disease piece. Like she just would change the subject. And then she looked at me again and said, no, you were out partying. And then we just moved on from there. I was like, she's not, I'm not going to change her mind. She's believing something about me and how my night went and why I was in the emergency room. And there was no convincing her otherwise. And so I just had to let it go. And so that was part of the reason of, of, I was like, and also sharing your story is it brings up feelings and memories and, and goes back to the past. And so there was a time too of like, my body's healing and I'm getting better and I found things that work and I don't want to remember all that stuff. Like, let's just move on. (laughs) Right. Let's go. My, I'm back to my normal self and I feel like myself again for the first time in two and a half years. And like, I just want to move forward. Um, but I, I, I realize how important sharing your story is. And like you talked about with, um, loneliness, I mean, we need people and we need community. So whether sharing is just going, to your spouse or to your kids or to your neighbor or to your close friend and sharing or publicly on social media, like sharing is so key, um, to let people in and to do life together and to not be isolated. Um, especially in things like Lyme disease or other chronic illnesses or depression or anything that, that is isolating in nature and does create loneliness. Um, when people don't understand or when something is chronic over a long period of time, people start to fade away. And I saw that happen a lot um, in my life and in my journey with Lyme disease. And so sharing is important for community aspect for yourself, but also, um, like you mentioned, to help other people and to provide that hope or to provide maybe even little pieces of information that could help them along their journey. Yeah, I think that um, anybody that's found semblance of hope has a duty to share. I think that in your journey, if you have found a light to move towards, even if you have not yet gotten there, even if it ends up being the wrong direction, because sharing can, one, encourage people, but two, someone might let you know they've already gone that direction and they can help. Um, I think the one that I'm less likely to, to demand share would be those that are without hope, though I think it's equally, if not more powerful, if they share. So I can think of specifically like depression where you – if you've never dealt with depression and it, and it kind of befalls you, you have no idea what just happened. I mean, if you're not familiar with it, you're just, am I sick? Am I just sleepy? Like, I feel like I slept last night, but I don't think I slept last night. Like, and it's not just a fatigue thing. It's a way you see the world. Like, it's, you don't understand. And, but if you can put that out there, someone can read like, I know what that is. And I'm not even talking like a doctor. I can, I've been there brother, I know what you're saying to me. Let me tell you what I see. Let me tell you what I experienced. Um, and I think those that are without hope have to share because it's the only chance they have. If you do not share, you mentioned fading away. Um, you and I have talked about in the programs we hope to build, uh, we need people to you know, identify who they are. You got to know your identity. Well, if I have chronic Lyme disease and chronic Lyme disease is uh, accepted by society as not existing, then I identify as someone that's full of shit and someone that's just in pain all the time. And what can the purpose of someone that's in pain be? Not much purpose, my purpose is to die. I'm just gonna wait until I'm dead because that, thank God, will take the pain away. Yay, whoa, definitely gonna fade out. Like that's totally, that's literally a light just burning out over time. Um, And if we can connect those people with even someone that's going to be told that Lyme disease does not exist, as long as they're with other people that are being told Lyme disease does not exist, they can kind of fight the power themselves or fight together, or at least even if they say, you know what, 
screw you guys. You don't accept what we're struggling with, that's fine because we have each other and we know what we're dealing with and we're going to find a way to make the best of it. You know, it, strength in numbers kind of approach there. And so I think that if you have hope of any kind, you are obligated to share. Like, how dare you not share? And it's still to degrees though. Like, do you need to be on the mountaintop screaming it? I don't think that's required. I don't think anybody can tell you how often or how loudly you should share, but I think your story should be able to be found somewhere. If you have made progress or even just gained understanding, even if you were in the same painful place, even if the episodes that like come across you or come over you are equally as painful as day number one, I think that you still owe it to others if you have a better understanding of it to try to put that understanding out there so they can know that they have a chance to get a, a greater understanding. Because when you understand pain, it doesn't make it better. But like, depending what it is, it can be more bearable. Pain without understanding why it's occurring is is awful. You know, it's why like people like our, our the, the mental way we process like uh, you always hear the story of someone that can like die of hypothermia in like a 60 degree turned off refrigerator car, even though they had air, but they believed it to be on. They believed it to be cold. So they died. So like if you don't understand the torture or what you perceive to be the torture, you can put yourself in a horrendous, horrendous spot. Um, but now I want to talk about from kind of the leadership side, the coaching side, and this is where I, I get, as you can tell, I'm already wound up about. As coaches, at least coaches here at Black Wolf, where Crystal and I both work, uh, I do not believe we are in the business of fitness. I believe that our job, yes, we do have to facilitate workouts. Yes, we have to help people sweat and be their best selves through physical activity and yada, yada. But I say yada, yada because I don't think that's it. I think we are here for connection. And more importantly, we are here to serve as advocates for those that do not have advocates serving them. And that means not just these extreme cases. That means on the simplest format. If I have athletes that did not grow up with access to nutrition information, it is my my job to disseminate the information that they receive and to help them understand and navigate the clouded waters of misinformation that is out there because it cannot be their job. How can we expect them to have time when they're working their nine to five and they're raising their kids and they're taking care of their husbands and their wives or doing whatever and then, oh, by the way, go ahead and spend a couple of hours researching nutrition, researching health and wellness and find the right way. It's not their job. It is our job. We are the leaders in their life in that capacity. And I think that when we see things like this, articles like this will not cease to be written. These are going to continue to pop up. It might be a different area that they attack. It might be a different topic each time, but they will not go away. And the prevalence of them on social media certainly won't because people love a good clickbait title. People love to stir up controversy. I promise you this Lyme disease article was uh, shared by plenty of people untouched by Lyme disease just to stir the pot. People like to stir the pot with headlines like this. And so as coaches, we need to take this stuff personally, not for ourselves, not to get clicks for ourselves, but to fight for the right information to reach our athletes, our community's ears. Because without that information, there is no hope. And after all, all we need in this life is hope, and we, can, we will be unstoppable. So from my perspective, I believe that the responsibility is on the coach or the leader in the community to kind of act as the gatekeeper. Now, does that mean censorship? No, I think my athletes should have access to this headline. They should be able to read this article themselves and they should not take my word for what it says. They should be allowed to read it and understand it for what they want to, but I have to add my opinion because my opinion is based on experience and it's based on watching people process stuff like this over the last decade and watching them be heartbroken because they thought they had hope. They see an article and they, they think, oh no, that's opposite of what the direction I was going. I'm wrong. Why try? 
why even give this a shot? So uh, acting as an advocate, as a leader, but then as kind of the person in the arena that's fighting the battle, fighting the battle of Lyme disease, fighting the battle of depression, fighting the battle of alcoholism, whatever it is, you have to share too. You have to share because you need others around and you need to know, um, you need to know you're not alone. Uh, we are the same pieces of decaying matter. That's from Fight Club. That is a great quote. Very dark. But let me tell you why I'm bringing it up here. I have not met a person that is struggling with something that nobody else in the world struggles with. But I have met the person that struggles with something that they have not yet shared. And therefore, they think they're the only person in the world that struggles with. I was a 25-year-old alcoholic when I got sober. 25 years old, I was well-to-do from an upper-middle-class family, went to college, college degree, all those things. You're not supposed to be an alcoholic 25, not when you're upper-middle-class and white. That doesn't happen. That's not who is in AA meetings, okay? That's not it, okay? I'm being a little sarcastic here because when I went to meetings, there were meetings for everybody. There were meetings for kids younger than me. There were meetings for men my exact age. There were meetings for men 10 years older, 20 years older, 30. There were meetings for everybody because everybody is in this fight. Okay, there's always someone like you somewhere dealing with what you're dealing with. But if you don't open up about it to some degree, you don't have to be super forthcoming, but you have to put yourself in position to be open, then you will never know. And loneliness will very literally kill you. It will certainly ruin the quality of your life. So um, that is my tirade or my rant for this part. Um, Interesting fact, there are some studies that went around, I forget who and where, but they were, seemed to be credible from what I remember <laughs> anyway, but they studied loneliness and, um, how loneliness is actually more dangerous than tobacco use I believe that. and actually has a higher risk of death than tobacco use. I absolutely. Believe that. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Believe that. Absolutely. And I think it's, but it's one of those things. It's hard to quantify loneliness. Like when are you actually in mm -hmm. loneliness? Like when, when has it consumed you? First, when are you just having like, when are you feeling a little lonely? Like, ah, oh, today, you know, I wish I had seen someone that cared about me. Went four hours without having a meaningful conversation versus like, I haven't connected with someone in a month. I have not had a meaningful conversation. Nobody's really tried to understand me in weeks, months, years. That person's out. That person's out. Whether And, and we're not talking just suicide, even though that's obviously where rates can skyrocket there. We're talking about like, you, you can stress can kill you through like actual sickness. You can actually exacerbate symptoms or almost create symptoms like, and then manifest a sickness in you as a result of stress. Loneliness is the brother of that. Like it is, it is there and things can then manifest themselves or become real in you as a result of living that life. And this is what that article was talking about. They weren't even talking about the risk of suicide, but literally the disease and what it wow. can do and how it impacts your physical body. Wow. Okay. So in conclusion, in conclusion, yes. drop this up. So um, we've talked about the dangers of, of articles like this and uh, specifically what Apurva Mandavili has actually written. Um, and I'd, I'd encourage you to go check out her Twitter because she's not backing down and I don't like it. Uh, I, we had made in our notes, where's the line on this is my journey and others' experiences may differ. Uh, I feel like if she had just put that somewhere, that makes this article fine because you're right. This article could and is, it is, uh, a great letter of hope to parents who obviously if they're 7, 8, 9, 10, any age kid comes home, doctor says, ah, it might be Lyme disease. If they hear the stories of chronic Lyme disease, then maybe they, you know, flush, they turn white and they go, oh my gosh, 
my poor baby, this letter or this article can serve to help them. But the fact that nowhere in here does she say experiences may differ, and she's basically saying this is a cookie-cutter application and that this is the process that everybody that uh, comes against Lyme disease will go through, that, that is a dangerous, dangerous approach and something that uh, we have not taken too kindly to. So Yeah, because it literally says in here, um, this line amazed me. Where did it go? Um, great news. It's Lyme disease. That's the best thing it could be. So that does not leave any room that's for so differing experiences. It's so disrespectful to anybody that's struck. Even if it wasn't chronic, it's so disrespectful to anybody that had a hard, normal Lyme, whatever we call normal Lyme disease treatment, because that's still painful. Like, it's so disrespectful because, and we had said this before, you know, I've been sober for nine years. I can easily frame my story as an easy story. Oh, yeah, I quit drinking at 25. It was easy. I don't know what your deal is. Why haven't you quit drinking? Gee, I just said I wanted to quit. I actually started a 30-day challenge and not drink, and then it just turned into nine years, and I never looked back. I could write that story. And now everybody that struggled to quit drinking goes, oh, my gosh, it's not that easy for me. Why even try? What's wrong with me? Exactly. Anybody that's trying to lose weight right now, losing weight, if you look at equations with with things like uh, uh, metabolism, like the deeper equations – you can still calculate losing weight to be seemingly easy, seemingly easy, okay? If we look at it on paper, like, oh, plug it in there, it pops out there, that's your number, hit that, you lose weight. It's not easy. But if I write that article, yeah, technically it's easy because I put in the equation, I had this really type A personality go through it, and he lost weight. So therefore, that's it. That is law. Why aren't you losing weight? Now, what good came from that? And so, okay, so dangers of that. Yes, um, well, and how do you um, justify? So there are other articles and studies actually showing that Lyme disease um, lowers your quality of life more than heart disease, even most cancers. But how much like, do you think that has to do with the insanity you feel of being dicked around and told you're wrong? And like, absolutely. All of, all of it put together for sure. But then how, like, you know we don't argue how do you say disease. it's the best thing you can, you can be told to your quality of life will be lower than even than any disease right. out there. This is someone's someone's not telling the truth there. No, it's it, that's bullshit. I mean, we don't argue. Someone comes in and says, you know, my doctor says I'm at risk of a heart attack, or hey, my grandfather died of a heart attack or heart disease. We don't go, well, did he? But there's actually I could poke holes in that because I go, no, he died of a bad diet. That wasn't like something he he just he ate ham too much. Okay. Like, we could easily poke holes in that, but those people get to live with more confidence in what they're dealing with, and therefore their quality of life does not have to suffer, even if they are dealing with something like that. Um, so, in conclusion. In, yeah, trying. I'm trying to get that. We're just so good at talking. Uh, the, in, the other things that we want to talk about be the, or conclude with would be the reminder that sharing your story is incredibly powerful. Uh, it's, it is powerful for yourself. You are going to feel... Uh, as if a weight is off your shoulders when you actually get it out there. You're no longer hiding in the darkness. But more importantly to me is that you're giving an opportunity to somebody else to read your story and connect with you and connect with your story and give them confidence that they are not alone in this world. And that applies to anything. Yes, Lyme disease. Yes, alcoholism. Yes, depression. But anything. I don't care if it's like graduate school. Like I'm losing my mind. I, I think I'm doing the wrong thing. Like anything you're struggling with, we should be willing to share our story. And man... It would definitely change the quality of content on Instagram these days. And find people, if you struggle with sharing your story, 
place people around you who like my friend who encourage you to do that and who are always um, in the best way possible, kind of pushing you to do that right. and to be vulnerable or even people that you can sit with and, and have them validate your story. Uh, and then until you can share more publicly right. or with more people. So put yourself around individuals who um, help you and push you into those um, circles or those uh, yeah. situations. Look, the people that surround you, the most important things in your life. Uh, and that it's like you, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And we laugh that one off and we joke about it, but like you, you really, really are. And if you're not being challenged to level up or you're not being challenged to grow, then you won't because why would you? And so, yes, having people in your life that have your best interest heart and know that you need to be sharing and know that you need to be putting yourself out there or else you're going to revert back to loneliness, revert back to your living inside your brain, um, which is a very dangerous place when you're by yourself. They, they, you need those people around you. I think that wraps kind of everything up. I think we... In a less concise way, we touched on everything. We will be back to talk about more. I don't know that we'll always get this uh, heated or controversial, but I'm glad we started with this one. But probably we will. We probably will because it's fun and it's meaningful. And I, again, if we're going to be advocates, we can't, we can't stay in the shallow end. Um, the value is not derived in the shallow end of life. That is where comfort and mediocrity lie. So what we're going to do instead is wrap this up. We will be back. Right now we're thinking we'll sit down for a long one like this once a month. But uh, if we're back sooner, you'll see us sooner. I hope you enjoyed this. Thank you, Crystal, for sitting down with me. Thank you, Ben. You're amazing. I appreciate it. And, uh, and this was my first podcast, by the way. Nailed it. Okay. We will see you when we see you. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.